This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. I also would like to thank Southeast Lyman Training Center. It is a premier school for line worker training. SLTC produces an elite group of highly trained and certified graduates equipped with the knowledge, discipline, and ability to have successful careers in the electrical utility and communications industries. Learn more at lineworker.com. Hello and welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This has been created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. I'd like to give a warm welcome to Dan Cooper. Dan is married. Together with his wife, they have three children and eight grandchildren. Dan is a life coach, a speaker, and an author of the book, When a Father is a Bad Word, and director of Finding a Father's Love, a nonprofit ministry that offers hope and healing for those that were wounded by difficult circumstances. Dan has a strong passion to help people, especially those who have father wounds. Welcome to the show up, brother. Hey, thank you, David. Really glad to be here, man. (laughs) Absolutely, Dan. I I, I just want to have you open up with you telling our audience about your childhood as you remember it, if you don't mind. Yeah, my childhood. Yeah, that's a loaded question in the true sense of the word. Um, I I was the youngest of four kids and our our dad was an abusive alcoholic. I mean, dad always drank, but by about the time I was five years old, he he became a full-fledged alcoholic. And most of my childhood memories were of things that happened when dad was drinking. I mean, when, when he wasn't drinking, he was a great guy, uh, kind and generous, had a great sense of humor. But honestly, I didn't see a lot of him uh, growing up. Um, when my dad was, was drinking, it was just a whole different story. So honestly, uh, not that my childhood was completely horrible, but... Uh, it was filled with uh, angry tirades and, and blaming and shaming uh, missed ball games and band concerts. Uh, and it, just growing up believing that, that I just didn't matter. Uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was an interesting child, mm-hmm. to say the least. Dan, I thought it was pretty uh, interesting that you said that uh, he was nice when he wasn't drinking. Um, I had a similar experience too, but it was opposite to whereas we used to joke in my house, maybe you should give my dad a little bit of alcohol so he could be nice. 
Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I get that. Uh, there were times when he'd have just a little bit to drink and uh, yeah, he was just funny, fun loving, but it never stopped there. It always went into more and more and more and it was a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Mm -hmm. What I always have seen is that alcoholism or any kind of abuse of anything is just a symptom to something else. What do you think he was dealing with? Well, and again, part of my journey has been going back and looking at my dad's life. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being at an ACOA meeting, Adult Children of Alcoholics, and a trained therapist led the meeting. And I remember him saying, you know, your parents did the best that they could. And I thought, no freaking way is that true. And, and the more I delved into my dad's life, I recognized he did the best that he could. I mean, he was the youngest of 10 boys. There was one girl in the family. My dad's mom died when he was a year and a half old, so he never received any kind of maternal love. Mom was never there to help him with his homework or, or greet him when he got off the bus. It was not an easy life for him. And again, that doesn't excuse his behavior, but, but it sure explains it. And that was really helpful to me in my uh, recovery journey. Mm. How, can you dive deeper into that? How did that help you? Was it just showing empathy and putting yourself in his shoes and seeing what he had to go through? Is that how you dealt with that? Or can, can you explain a little bit on that? Absolutely. It was recognizing that he did do the best that he could with, with the hand that he was dealt. He did the best that he could. You know, he, he grew up in a generation where, uh, you know, <laughs> seeing a counselor was for the mentally disturbed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people just tried to, uh, to tough it out. And, um, you know, with 10 boys in, uh, in the family, you know, he grew up with the you know, real men don't cry, real men don't show emotions, real men just pick themselves up by the bootstrap, something he told me many times as a child. Uh, so yeah, with what he had, he did the best that he could. Uh, had he grown up in a different era, it might have been a totally different story uh, for him. And Dan, I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously you said, you know, earlier that he was kind of not really around because he was out of his mind because of the, the drinking, correct? Um, yeah. So he, he might've been there physically, but not mentally or emotionally. Um, with that being said, what memory do you remember? Like, I know one thing that, and I'm kind of tying this in here, so just bear with me, okay? Sure. The thing that stopped me from drinking was my wife telling me that my daughter was going to grow up with that memory of smelling that alcohol on me. And if I was okay with that and her seeking that out in a man later on in life and seeing that that is okay, mm. then she would never bother me with that again. Yeah. But that, that piece, that little truth that she laid upon me right there was my why of, of why I stopped drinking. So to tie that back in, what is it that you saw that you could remember in your father as far as that goes? Like, did you have a memory like that? Well, I, I learned very early on that uh, kids of alcoholics are more prone to become alcoholics. And I knew that was something I did not ever mm. want to do. 
So I was blessed to have had that information when I was fairly young. So, I mean, I never really drank. It was just not of interest to me. Um, you know, I'm <laughs> reminded of the story I use often when I do my Finding Father's Love seminars of the, the twin boys who had an alcoholic dad and one of them grew up to be an alcoholic himself. And when he was asked why, he said, I learned from my father. The other became a very successful businessman. And when he was asked why, he said, I learned from my father. Uh, so hmm. we, we have a choice in the matter. And uh, I, I'm just grateful that I learned early on. I'm a high-risk candidate uh, if I choose to drink, and I chose not to. Man, when you're talking about that, I, I had this, I, this thought, right, this past memory. And hmm. uh, I just want to share it with you. Is So my father didn't drink, okay? My father believed in hard work and, you know, he's a blue collar man, provide great provider and everything like that. He worked extremely, extremely hard. So for him having a beer or two was a reward. We never saw him drunk. And mm. if in, in the time that he did get a little buzzed, he was extremely nice. Okay. Right. Um, but with that being said, my dad wasn't emotionally really available for whatever he was dealing with in his past and stuff like that. Mm. So he was always very distant. Okay. With us. So I grew up with my grandfather who I loved. I mean, this guy was an amazing man. He was super nice. Just, just an amazing man, but he was a full blown alcoholic. I, I'm talking to the point where he was hiding the old pool top Schlitz cans in the radiator of his truck and acting like he was working on his vehicle. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, yeah. that's, that's how he was, you know, hot beer and stuff like that. And, uh, always hiding it from my grandma, but I grew up with that smell. I got comfortable with it. And it's, it's interesting to see that because what I'm tying this into is my father wasn't an alcoholic, but the man I associated with the man I spent a lot of time with was, and sure. I think that's what kind of made me fall into that same path as well of, of just pounding down some, some beer. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And, and even that smell, can be a trigger it, it still is for me all these years later and 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 I'm blessed in that my dad was with God's help able to quit drinking right about the time I started dating my wife mm -hmm. so wife and kids never met that man they never saw my dad drinking and they have a hard time <laughs> believing the stories because it was such a contrast uh, but man oh man uh, I I am grateful uh, and yet that smell, if I'm at a ball game or whatever, I just smell and oh my word, my, my mind just goes back to a very bad place. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, I could, I could resonate with that. Mm -hmm. um, how did your father interact with your mother and what did you see? Well, um, it, it, that, that was interesting. My mother, um, God lovers stayed with him. Um, I remember I was probably about 10 years old. Uh, dad had come home drunk again the night before, and it was World War III in our home. And I had just had it. And dad had already left for work, and I was about ready to leave for school. And I said to mom, you know, just get a divorce. Just, just get rid of him. You know, he, it's, he can choose whether or not he wants to ruin his own life, but he's ruining our lives, too. And I will never forget my mom's response. She said, but I made a vow to him and to God, and I'm not going to break it. 
Wow. Tell you what, at the time I thought you stubborn old woman, you. And then when, when God delivered my dad from alcoholism, being able to see those two without alcohol, just enjoy life was a thing of beauty because when he was drinking, um, it was tense. It was tense. It was just, you know, the, the constant fighting and blaming and shaming and accusing and lies and, oh, my word, yelling and screaming. And, you know, now, now that I've been on my recovery journey for, for many years, I realize a very, very common characteristic, one I see a lot in my work with people who are uh, trying to deal with a difficult past is uh, a common characteristic of growing up with an alcoholic is um, difficulty with intimate relationships. Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense because intimacy and alcoholism are at polar ends of the spectrum. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, intimacy is about openness and love and letting people in. Uh, and alcohol is about yelling and screaming and keeping people out. Mm -hmm. I think alcohol too is, is like we talked earlier about it's, it's, a, it's secondary, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, ma it's a masking agent and it could be with anything, you know, whether it be work relate or like work, being a workaholic, uh, having a passion that you're really into like golfing. I, I, I mean, I know guys who have gone divorces literally over golfing, you know, yeah. or, or some yeah. kind of hobby, right? Because it came <laughs> first, Yeah, you know, and it's you talk, you talked about intimacy and I like the acronym into me see when you're being intimate right yeah. you're allowing that person to see into your world you're being completely open to that person and when you're taking this alcohol you're putting that veil up they're not able to see the true person because you're masking it because you don't want them to see that pain you know david that is so true and and i don't know how many times i have said it uh, but it rings true. We can never love or be loved as long as we're wearing a mask. Mm. It's impossible. It is impossible. And yet so many people are so fearful that they're going to be found out that their secret is going to become public and they keep that mask firmly in place and they are missing out on what I believe is the one thing God wants us to experience more than anything else. And that is intimacy, intimacy mm -hmm. and with others. It's that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's interesting that you touched on that because we've had past guests on there who talked about shame, you know, Dr. Stephen mm -hmm. Poulter, a uh, great, great man, very knowledgeable, helped out thousands of people. And um, he's always talking about shame and it's, you know, he always says, man, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but shame has a lot to do with everything, yeah. you know, and, masking that shame not wanting people to see who you truly are that i mean so many people do it but if you really think about it that's a sad existence yeah but but the key to recovery is finding a safe place mm. where you can be who you really are and know you're not going to be shamed and you're not going to be judged uh, and, and sadly and i i'm a former pastor mm -hmm. uh, Church is the least safe place yes. for, a lot of people, for a lot of people. You know, you, you'll probably never find more people wearing masks than you will on any given church on any given weekend. And, mm -hmm. and, and 
that is sad. Uh, and, and actually, uh, um, tomorrow I'm, I'm going to be going to a funeral of a really good friend of mine. And, and one of the things Daryl said to me that I will never forget is when, when I saw the difference in his life uh, after years of substance abuse and poor choices, I saw a glow about him I had never seen before. And I just said, just said Daryl, what church did you wind up at? You are just a changed person. And he said, I, I didn't find Christ in church. I found him at AA. Hmm. And that is such a powerful statement. But when you look at it, what is the difference? You know, his experience in church was that is where you're going to be judged and shamed. And at AA, we see you and accept you just as we are, mm -hmm. just as you are, you know, and to me, that's what I think the church is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Now it's become here in, in uh, recent years. And, and I agree with you hundred percent. We came, um, you know, my wife worked at a church, a mega church actually. And uh, we, we saw the same thing as far as uh, the judgment, um, the hypocrisy, you know, and I, I, I get it. No one's yeah. perfect. You know, if you really think about the church, the church is filled with hurting people. Yeah, that's that's what it yeah. is. It's, it's people that are broken and they need help. Yeah. But what happens, I think a lot of the times is the church has forgotten that their obligation is to help people, to give them a hand up, not a handout. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people want handouts nowadays. Yeah. And that's not but, what our, that's not what we're called to do. Like even with our ministry, our nonprofit, I'm not going to give you a hand up or a handout. I'm going to give you a hand up. I'm going to help yeah. you out, you know? Yeah. Handouts basically don't ever get at the, the core of the problem. You know, they're dealing with symptoms and mm -hmm. yeah, we, we've got to be able to get at what is underneath the pain that's underneath and, and help people get healing there. And then the rest kind of takes care of itself. It's amazing how that works. It does. And, and we're in the, we're in the job of restoring people, not judging people too. That's what I think a lot of people have forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. It is not our job to sit as judge and jury over people. Um, Jesus command was to, to love others uh, as we love ourselves. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, the great uh, commission is, you know, all about, uh, you know, the, and a lot of churches base their work on the great commission and go out and tell the world of, of the gospel. And yet, if we forget the great commandment, which is to love God above all and to love others as ourselves, we're wasting our time. Mm -hmm. The commission, we have got to be a loving people. We have got to accept people where they are, especially today when there are so many wounded people because of um, fatherlessness, which I see is the, the, the biggest problem we have in our culture today. Mm -hmm. These kids are growing up without a clue what it means to, to be loved and uh, to, to feel like you are a worthwhile person. It's a shame. Mm -hmm. Dan, I want to kind of go into this transition to, to this topic that we're on. Okay. You talked about father wounds. Okay. Yeah. What do all people that you have seen who have father wounds have in common? What do you think that is? Oh, my word. Um, 
I see a lot of this in my work. And I mentioned one already, just a fear of intimacy is very common uh, mm -hmm. when people are suffering father wounds. Um, judging yourself without mercy, um, seeking approval and affirmation. My, my friend <laughs> Daryl would say, uh, it ca he calls that going for the attaboy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if having a difficult time um, accepting criticism, uh, feeling guilty for standing up for ourselves. But, but I, I guess if I, I if I had to sum it up, David, um, I, I see one common thread with people who have father wounds. They they came from environments where they followed the three rules: don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Hmm talk about your stuff. It's shameful. It's a secret. Um, you don't trust other people. Uh, you can't trust your own father, for heaven's sake. Uh, and don't feel. Just mm. up, buttercup. Uh, and, and it's sad that so many people are growing up following those three rules. And, and the reality is, David, healing comes from breaking those rules, from finding people that we can a trust and mm -hmm. telling them our story, telling them our truth, uh, and finally being able to feel our God-given feelings. It's crucial. Uh, we're mm -hmm. created as relational beings. That's how God made us. And newsflash, he gave tear ducts to men and women. Mm -hmm. uh, so a, a large part of my work, uh, not just the Finding Father's Love seminars that I do, but I'm involved in a men's ministry, uh, Battle Cry International. We do men's retreats around the country. And so many of these men are, are, are coming to us just wounded um, because of fatherlessness in their life. And uh, we provide a safe place for them where they mm -hmm. can trust and feel. And it's just a thing of beauty when guys are finally able to share their, their God-given emotions and not be told that you know they're acting like a woman or a girl or that you know real men don't do that uh it's just so awesome to see the freedom that they experience just in sharing how they feel mm, mm. no and it's so amazing all the different things that you're doing and trying to restore fathers mm. um do you feel that that was all influenced by your father and your experiences that you went through, that that's what drove this passion for you to do this? There is no question about that. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that. I would not be doing what I'm doing today if it weren't for the fact that I grew up with an abusive alcoholic dad. There's no question. God, God ministers best out of our worst pain. Mm -hmm. And he certainly done that in, in my life. And, and honestly, David, I am, I am blessed doubly, in fact, because not only did dad quit drinking uh, when I was in my early 20s, but when I was first asked to speak publicly about alcoholism, uh, I went to my dad and I just told him of the opportunity that I had. And I said, but I'm, I want to be very careful about what what I say because I don't want to hurt you or the family and he said you tell them whatever you need to tell them if it's mm -hmm. them 
to make good choices in their life and stay away from alcohol. Tell them whatever you need to. So I got my dad's blessing. And uh, in my book, I share some very personal and, and painful stories. Um, but I do so not to you know, put down my dad. As I said, he, he, my dad was a great guy. He just had a, a bad problem. And uh, I'm, I'm forever grateful that, uh, that he found healing, but I recognize um, a lot of people don't have that happy ending. Mm -hmm. And so helping people go through that journey, you know, trying to uh, forgive a father who might still be in their addiction or maybe isn't even with us anymore, mm -hmm. that, that's uh, a, a tough journey to go on, but it's well worth taking because, man, mm -hmm. for, forgiveness will, will uh, unforgiveness will clip our wings uh, more than just about anything I know. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting that you talked about fathers who aren't here with us anymore. Um, that, that led me up to our next question, which was how can father wounds be healed if you can't reconcile your relationship with your father because they're, they're gone, you know, um, what, yeah. what do you suggest? I mean, you said it was hard, right? It, it's difficult, but forgiveness has to happen. If we're going to have healing in our lives, it has to happen. Mm -hmm. So if, if dad isn't, um, around anymore, that doesn't mean that, that we've lost our chance. Uh, if dad is still here, we have an opportunity to, to find reconciliation and to go through the forgiveness process directly with him. But if dad is no longer here, now it happens between us and God. And we've got to go to God and just say, I am carrying this stuff with me and I can't do it anymore. Help me to let this go, help me to, to forgive my dad. And, and as I said earlier, part of that journey might be going back and looking at your dad's life and finally understanding the truth that as difficult as he may have been, he did the best that he could with what he has. I mean, that, that's a freeing truth to, uh, to grasp. Uh, so it, I'm not saying this is easy stuff. It certainly is not. But mm -hmm. believe me, I, I've, I've suggested to a lot of people, you know, writing letters and going to the cemetery and just going through the process. Uh, even though dad's not there to hear you, you're going through it for you, not for not for him. And I like that you said that it's for forgiveness is for you. It's not for the person who's mm -hmm. offended you. You know, it's. um when you're holding on to that unforgiveness, it's like drinking out of a cup of poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know how crazy it is, David. You know, so many people are just obsessing over things that others have done to them years after it happened. And the person who did it is sleeping like a baby. You know, mm -hmm. what's wrong with this picture? You know, we've got to get to the point where we let that go. And where a lot of folks get stuck is they somehow believe that if they do that, they're giving the person a pass. They are not. Uh, they're giving themselves an opportunity to, to enjoy life to the full and not carry that burden around with them anymore. It doesn't excuse their behavior. It's just saying, I'm not going to be ruled by that anymore. Hmm, hmm. No, I, I like that. Yeah, it's definitely um, forgiveness. 
forgiveness mm. of self as well too i believe you know what i mean oh, I, absolutely. I, I i've talked to a lot of fathers where they've come to grips with forgiving their their parents you know what i mean for the things that has happened to them but they tend to not forgive themselves for yeah. allowing it to happen sure and that's the shame again david when you're taught your whole life uh, you're a nobody, you're good for nothing, you're never going to amount to anything, you start to believe those messages. And, and this is so much a part of our work uh, on Battle Cry weekends when men come. They might be experiencing something uh, in their marriage or at work that, that has them upset, and we'll get them into their feelings around that. And then we ask the question, so where else have you felt like you were not heard? Where else in your life have you felt that you were constantly being minimized, that your opinion di didn't matter? And invariably, they go right back to their, their childhood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and the words might not have been spoken uh, directly. You know, you are no good. But that's a message that we take on because of uh, our, our, our dad's behavior. So yeah, getting getting at the root of that shame is is crucial. Hmm. I like that. I like what you said about how the message we're putting out, not necessarily the words, but the message. I mean, how yeah. true that is, you know, even with our our posture, when we're posturing in the home, when we're walking in there, when we're doing the things that we do because we're a not really plugged in. You know, I like to say not being intentional, you know, yeah. and we're we're kind of just going through the motions and here are our children are trying to play with their Legos and wanting daddy, you know, they're, they're purposely putting their Legos in front of us to walk so they can get our attention. And we're just blowing right past them, stepping right over their Legos because why? Because daddy just worked 24 hours straight and he's tired. Yeah. You know, what kind of message are we sending our children at that point? You know, that you are not important. Well, and I'll tell you what, I, I, I've, dealt with a lot of people who grew up with workaholic dads too. Mm -hmm. And the symptoms are all the same. The pain is all the same. Churchaholic dads, that's that's the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and kids are growing up feeling less than. And uh, man, dads have to take responsibility for, for their action. Their job is to father their children, to be there for them physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, it, it's absolutely crucial, but it, it's just a, a shame that, that, you know, so many kids are growing up today without a dad in the home. And even if he is in the home, he's not really there. Uh, and, and we're paying the price, uh, mm -hmm. as, as families, as a society, as I said, I, I think that's the, the, Number one problem in our, our culture today, you, you talked before about uh, uh, whether it's a symptom or, or the real problem, you know, we deal with all kinds of symptoms in our culture, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kids uh, getting in trouble with the law, getting kicked out of school, uh, teen pregnancy, uh, all of that, and, and we, we treat the symptoms, but so often that common thread is fatherlessness, fatherlessness. Another prime example, uh, David's school shootings. Mm -hmm. You know, here, the, whenever there's a school shooting, 
we know we're going to get inundated with gun control. We need. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the deal, David. In the 1970s, there were more guns in the homes than there are today. But guess what? There were more dads in the homes in the 70s than there are today, teaching kids to be responsible, teaching them right from wrong, being invested in their lives, helping them to make uh, good and, and godly choices. That's the issue. That is the issue, but, but we don't want to talk about that. It's easier to talk about gun control. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. It's it's us as fathers stepping back out of our roles, you know. Um I I get it. Things have changed, you know what I mean? Since yes. the industrial revolution, things have changed, you know, to where fathers have been called out of the homes to go and find work, you know, back in the day. And I've I've said this over and over again, you know, but back in the day, your child was indentured into whatever work the father was in. Too, you yeah. know what I mean? So if you're a woodworker, guess what? You learned, you went with your father at, at the appropriate age where you can actually do some work and learn. You yeah. went with your father as an apprentice and you learned the family trade, whether it be shoemaking or glass blowing or, you know, being a lineman, whatever, you followed in those footsteps, you know, and then industrial revolution kicked off. And guess what? Now fathers are being taken out of the home, to look for work. Yeah. Thus yeah. putting this responsibility on the mothers right. you know, who were never meant to carry that burden for long right. periods of time, right. you know, and, and that's where we're at. You know, we're, we're forgetting our roles. We're stepping out. We're getting stuck on this notion that, Hey, all I got to do is provide, you know, and, and that's our model here at the show up. That is be more than just a paycheck. Good for you. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And that's how so many people look at parents today. The mom is the nurturer and the dad is the breadwinner, uh, you know, and man, oh man, uh, there's, there's got to be a lot of crossover with that, you know, mm-hmm. have to take some responsibility for their, their kids also. Uh, kids are much more interested in their dad's time than, than the things they can get with his paycheck. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that stuck with me, I heard on a past guest, um, he dealt with a lot of, uh, trauma, a lot of, uh, household abuse and stuff like that. Right. He's, he's seen it. He was in law enforcement for like over 40 years. Right. Mm. And, uh, he talked about how a lot of times when he would go to these homes and these women had just been battered. I mean, I'm talking faces pushed in when they asked to press charges, the mother would not press charges for the simple fact that they knew that if the father went into jail, they were going to skip out on a few meals because he was a breadwinner. And that was the sole purpose of them not pressing charges. Wow. How sad is that? Uh, How sad is that? Now, talking about that pain, okay? I once heard it said that pain not transformed is transmitted. Okay? Do you feel that this is an issue that fathers deal with and ultimately pass to their children? Yeah. uh, If if I, for instance, don't take responsibility for my own actions – uh, what am I teaching my kids? You know, uh, <laughs> if you have situations in your life that become unbearable, uh, get some help. Just mm-hmm. 
find some help. <laughs> you, you know, uh, there is help out there. Thank God there is help out there. Uh, but it, it takes a man to recognize that he needs help. You know, a man isn't somebody who says, I don't need help. A real man recognizes that he needs it and, and he gets it because his kids are worth it. His marriage is worth it. He is worth it as a man. Uh, so yeah, if he doesn't do that, what are his kids learning? The exact same behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as the Bible said, the sins of the father affect the third and fourth generations. It just, it just keeps going and going. So I encourage guys, you know, it's, it ends with you. The general generational curse ends with you, with your generation. You are going to be the one who breaks that chain. You are going to step in to what it really means to be a man, a husband, and a father. You're going to show that to your kids, and the chain is going to be broken. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that with that help that you suggest fathers should seek, right, that that will create a stability and emotional safety for the home? Absolutely, but they have to recognize they need help first. Mm-hmm. You cannot fix what you will not see. So once you recognize that you need help, my word, there there is help out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but get it, you know, <laughs> you're responsible. You are responsible. You've got to get the help. Mm-hmm. I like what Stephen Poulter, Dr. Stephen Poulter said. He says that until you pick it up, you don't know you actually have it. And that goes true to what you're saying. You know what I mean? Until you actually man up and, and want to pick up that torch, want to pick up that those past pains and deal with them, you're not going to know you even have them there. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. And yet sometimes men especially just need permission to do that because they've been taught that it's wrong. They've been taught that men don't talk about their problems. Men don't show emotions. Men just pick themselves up by the bootstraps. So sometimes it involves just giving themselves permission to do it. But man, there is just way too much at stake here Mm -hmm. uh, to to just look the other way. Uh, There's way too much at at stake. I I think of a, a woman, uh, she came to one of my uh, Finding Fathers Love seminars, and uh, I mean, sh- she had told me that she was separated from her husband and um, didn't have a lot of hope for the marriage because she said, I, I, I feel like I can get so close to my husband and no closer. And she's asking herself, what am I doing wrong? Why am I not the wife that my husband wants? Why does he keep blocking me out? And she sat at this seminar and I mean, she, she, I remember holding my book like the Holy Grail saying, I'm going to bring this back to my husband because I think this is the answer. And sometime later, I get a phone call from, from this guy. And he said, yeah, dude, you don't know me, but my wife went to one of your dealies and I just finished your book and I thought I should call you. And David, he, he told me the most heart-wrenching story of uh, being abandoned by an alcoholic dad when he was just a little boy. Mom married another alcoholic. Uh, he left, married a third alcoholic. This one actually abused him. Married a fourth alcoholic. Are we seeing a pattern here, by the way? Mm-hmm. Married a fourth alcoholic. And this guy actually recognized he had a problem and went to get help, right? 
And he was going to AA, he had a sponsor, he was trying to be a good man, he went back and invested in this boy that wasn't even his, and taught him how to fish, taught him how to play ball. And this kid was in his glory. Uh, but if you understand anything about addiction, you know that uh, the demons are still there. And that was true of this stepdad. And in a moment of weakness, the stepdad uh, killed himself. And this, this guy on the phone just said to me, uh, that day, I decided I would never let another human being get close enough to me to hurt me. And I realized I shut up my own life. Wow. So going back to the scene of the crime, it wasn't a marital issue per se. It manifested in that. Mm -hmm. It was a childhood issue, something he had to resolve and find healing around. And, and the beautiful thing now that I have to share this, not only did they stay together, but this guy um, decided that he needed to do something about it. So uh, he does hardwood floors. He, he finishes and refinishes hardwood floors as a, a career. And he will pick young guys, teenage boys, guys in their 20s who, who have father wounds, and, and he teaches them how to do a trade, but while they're working, he also teaches them what it means to be a man and a mm. husband and a dad. And he's just got this amazing ministry going on the side now, mm -hmm. result of, of his pain. But God redeemed that in a, such a beautiful way. And I just see this happen over and over and over again. We have hope, no matter what our situation, we have hope. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> man what, what, just listening to you talk about how the man took his life i mean Ugh. i always go back to mark jennison he you know he deals with he's the comeback kid you know he came on our podcast and he shared about him being an alcoholic and drug addict and stuff like that and how he recouped you know what i mean and he still struggles with stuff here and there but i mean the guy's helping men tremendously you know and i sure. think a lot of the times our mess becomes our message mm. right and yeah. you know we're not necessarily perfect uh per se like like even with what i'm doing with the show up dad i'm not per i'm not a perfect father i struggle every single day and what got me to this point was that self-realization of knowing hey man I, for lack of better words i became a shitty dad yeah a, sh a shitty husband and sure to tie that back into what you were saying, I did the same exact thing. I shut my wife out for many years. For many years, my wife thought I hated her. And it was mm -hmm. because I was so shut off from intimacy yeah. that I didn't want to share with her the pains that I was carrying, the, the pain of, of rejection, the, mm -hmm. the pain of not being good enough. You know, um, I grew up in a household that was very performance-based. Sure. Where you had to look a certain way. You could have just gotten your head, the, the heck beat out of you, <laughs> nose bleeding and, and, you know, everything else. But when yeah. you went outside, you better wipe the blood off your face. You better put on a new shirt and comb your hair because you have to look perfect when you go outside because we can't let anybody know inside our glass home yeah. what's happening. Yep. You know, and, and that, that carries <laughs> trauma all in itself. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Putting on the mask, 
putting mm -hmm. on. Oh my gosh. Oh, well, and kudos to you, David, for, for stepping into this and, and recognizing that this is an area of your life that needs some attention and, and you're doing something about it. And now you're able to help all kinds of people uh, to make that same transition. So uh, my, my hat is off to you, man. Uh, that that's just a beautiful thing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and it, it feels good to hear all these different stories or, or people calling in and just sending messages just to say, Hey man, you're doing an amazing job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. That that's changed my life. You've, you've helped me become a better father. You know what I mean? And it's not, mm -hmm. it's not me. It's just, you know, me sharing my ups and downs of what I've realized, you know, it, it's all God, but you're, but you're breaking the rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trusting and feeling you're, you're, you're giving people exactly, exactly what they need to find healing in their life. Dan, I wanted to ask you, one of the things I dealt with being a father is when I would come home, my, my wife always told me that our household was filled with anxiety and it was like my children were walking on eggshells around me. Okay. That to me, that's an unstable home from all the research I've done. You know, that's, that's a chaotic household, correct? How can fathers change that atmosphere, you know, from, from doing that? What have you seen? What would you suggest? Kids need security. They need to know mom and dad love each other and that they're in it for the long haul. Uh, so, you know, you're gonna have ups and downs in a marriage. There's no question about that. Uh, but the downtimes don't have to happen in front of your kids. So <laughs> mm. take the time to get alone with the two of you to work through whatever needs to be worked through. Uh, Try not to fight in front of the kids. Never put your wife down in, in front of the kids. Um, and, you know, today it's like people get divorced at the drop of the hat. That word divorce shouldn't even be in your toolbox. Because uh, the reality is divorce isn't something that's just a, a choice between a man and a woman that only affects them. Kids don't sign up for that. Hmm. You know, and, and kids bear the, the brunt of that. Uh, so, so that would be one thing. Just the, the best thing a dad can do is, is love your kid's mom. Uh, show them what love and, and intimacy looks like. I rather enjoy doing that now because my kids are all, all adult. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I love making sure my, my kids know that uh, mom and dad are, are still intimate in, in every conceivable way. <laughs> I, I i thoroughly enjoy that uh, <laughs> yeah I, I do too <laughs> you know I, th I thought it was interesting as you said that we have to model that love that intimacy that oneness with our wife around our children you know and, and that holds true because Literally, what we're doing is we're teaching our boys how to treat a woman. We're teaching our daughters yeah. what to look for in a man. Yes. You know, and I think we need to realize that, you know. And David, where else are they going to learn that if they don't learn it at home? Heaven help us if they're learning what it means to be a man, a husband, and a dad from TV. I mean, 
Tell me one positive male character in, in, a, in, a, in a show. One positive dad. I mean, we've made them out to be buffoons and idiots uh, who, who are just run roughshod by their, their mm-hmm. wives, significant others. I, I mean, we've gone from father knows best to father doesn't know anything. Mm. And if we're not teaching our kids, heaven help us if the world is, is teaching them because uh, we don't even know what a man is anymore. Mm-hmm. It, saying what's going on in our country uh that makes it all the more important for dads to to step up to the plate and do their job Mm -hmm. and i think it's a part of the culture too and i had this conversation with a, a dear friend of mine the other day and i think what's happened is like my generation okay i'm i'm 43 years old okay now in my generation we grew up with the rough and tough fathers. We grew up with the television shows where like, you know, I, I grew up with Charles Bronson. You know, yeah. I, I grew up with <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson. Those were manly figures to me. Those are the guys I wanted to be with. You know, I, I grew up rambunctious. I grew up hunting and fishing. Yeah. You know, those I liked manly men. So I grew up around that. My father was the same way. You know what I mean? That's how he mm-hmm. was, you know, um, with that being said, our generation, we were like, okay, I didn't like the way we were taught, right? I didn't like being hit. I didn't be, I didn't like being yelled at and screamed at and degraded and stuff like that. Right. So what happens is with our children, we stop doing that. Okay. So what happens when you pull out a weed in a garden, you have this big old gaping hole. I think our generation has forgotten to fill that hole with something. So we tore out the bad, but we never replaced that. So now you have these kids who are running around who hate God, who hate America, who are total anti-everything, you know, anti-gun, anti-all these things. I mean, you touch base on it about the 70s, how there was more guns in the home, but there was also more fathers in the home, right? Yeah, and, and every school shooter in this country had a father wound. Yeah. That is the common thread, but no one wants to talk about that. No. So it's a deeper issue that's plaguing. And then one of the things I, I, I talked to this dear friend of mine, I told him, I was like, look, dude, we didn't just get here overnight. No, this has been happening over time because why? Because fathers have not stepped up into the roles and do what they were called to do. That's why we're at today. Now to change that, We see it. We see it across the board horizontally. We see it in our industry as far as the line work where guys are cutting corners, where where guys don't have respect for for the linemen nowadays, all these different Mm -hmm. things, right? There's I hear complaints and complaints and complaints. You know, one of the major deals now is safety. Everybody's in this big push for safety. Okay, well, why are guys getting killed? Now, today, more guys in our line trade are getting killed. And there's more safety. There's more training than we ever had 15, 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? It starts at the home. It starts with those little compromises. It starts with us being fathers and examples to our children to teach them. You don't cut corners. No, you can't. And you can hear it in my voice. I'm passionate about this because I see (laughs) it. I see it over and over and over again, you know, um, it, it just didn't get there overnight is where I'm trying to get it. And it's going to take time. It's going to take us step. The guys who are right now, 
this time, this is the, the best time we could possibly be in right now because we're going to create that change for the future because it's going to start with us and being aware and start making that transition to when our children and our grandchildren are in the roles that we're in today. It's changed. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> you hit the nail right on the head. It's, it's got to end with this generation. We've, we've got to step into these roles and, and recognize why God gave the roles to begin with. You know, the, the role of father is so incredibly important. And, and it's just minimized everywhere you look. The, the role of a man is minimized everywhere you look in this culture. Uh, but, but I'm with you. I, I've, I've been in this ministry long enough, as, as have you with this podcast, to, to see man after man after man who is changing, who is recognizing they have some work to do, who is stepping up to the plate and taking their responsibilities seriously. It happens one man at a time. So that's how we got to look at it. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty daunting task otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the way I look at it, too, is like, you know, I've been on these big old storms where it's overwhelming. You see people's lives just devastated. I mean, look at this Kentucky, this, this tornado that just hit Kentucky recently. I mean, yeah. you see the pictures. I mean, that's how hurricanes happen as well. And ice storms, you know, all these natural disasters that we're seeing more and more of now that yeah. we're getting closer. Um with that being said, it gets overwhelming to see how much damage, how much chaos, you know, and I always use the words of a, of a man who was kind of a mentor to me. And he always told me, he'd be like, Dave, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Focus <laughs> yeah. on this one pole. Focus where you're at. And that's where I get that meaning. Be where your feet are. Yeah. Don't focus on all the chaos and everything that's going on. Don't, don't tune into that. Tune on where, tune into where you're at, be there in that moment and focus on that. And, and recognize too, the picture that's being painted by our media today mm -hmm. is accurate at all, mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> you know, we, we've got a, uh, a small percentage of people uh, living some very crazy lives with some very uh, crazy ideas. They are not a minority by any stretch, but you would never believe that by, by listening to the, the media. So yeah, we, we have to be careful what we're feeding our minds also. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm responsible for me. I am not responsible for anyone else. And if I take that responsibility seriously, uh, then, then God can use me not only in my own family, but to help other guys in theirs. Man, and that's going to be a whole another podcast on its own. We we're just talking about that the other day about teaching our children not to, to worry about the other person. I mean, how many times do we see, uh, people even in the workspace well what about them why are they got a raise why are they doing this why are they getting paid the same amount of money i am and they're not even working you know and they're labor faking or whatever you know what i mean and yeah if you i mean that that's one thing that really upsets a lot of people i see it even with my son when he's like well why is lucas doing it you know and as fathers we got to raise up our children and teach them not to worry about other people just to worry about yourself and do the right thing. Yeah. You know, because we can't control them. 
Absolutely. Uh, two words we really spend a lot of time looking at on a, a battle cry weekend are integrity and accountability. Mm. Integrity, being the same man you are in the dark as you are in the light, and being accountable for yourself. Mm-hmm. Take personal responsibility. Uh, where is this happening in the world? Think of how different our world would be. Think of how different Washington, D.C. would be, David, if the people who were elected to office were people of integrity who had uh, uh, self-accountability. And, and I, it would turn the world upside down. Uh, and it's exactly how God wants us to live. Uh, so we need to take responsibility for, for our own actions. But man, dads have such a responsibility to, uh, to help their kids understand uh, uh, integrity and accountability as well. Absolutely. Once again, Dan, man, this time went so quick. Thank you so much for coming on here, uh, for just sharing your wisdom with us. And uh, just being a part of this whole movement that we have here at the Show Up Dad, and and just uh, can you tell our audience real quick how they can get a hold of you, if you don't mind? Oh, absolutely. Um, my uh, website is called uh, dankuiper.com, D-A-N-K-U-I-P-E-R.com, and you can reach me there if you're ever interested in doing a uh, Finding Fathers Love seminar. Uh, my book, When Father Is a Bad Word, is available on. Uh, uh, Amazon and the, the men's retreats that I, I spoke about battle cry. Uh, if there are any men interested in, uh, stepping into that, uh, those weekends are held around the country and that's battlecryinternational.org uh, where you can go for more information. Once again, Dan, thank you so much from the show up that foundation. And, uh, we appreciate you and we'll be talking to you soon, brother. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Great talking with you.